What up all you beautiful misfits and rejects out there? Thank you for joining me for episode 242 of Misfits and Rejects. In today's episode, I spoke with Darren Cronian from The Remote Hive. I found Darren on YouTube, actually, on his YouTube channel, Remote Darren, and started diving into his videos and really got inspired by just where he was in the world, the things he was doing, talking about, and reached out to learn more about him. And in this episode, you learned that Darren was just a regular guy living and working in the UK, had the same job for actually 24 years until he said enough was enough, that he felt like there was a big world out there he wanted to explore, and that there had to be a way for him to cut the ties from that safety and security that he knew so well in the UK in that job, and go out and find a new way to make a living and start a new lifestyle. And he did. And for the last eight years, he has been staying in countries one to three months at a time, and just bouncing around while he works online and is designed a life that he's super proud of and always dreamed of. This episode is such a good example of it's just never too late to change your life and do something that you feel is maybe more valuable or going after that thing you've always desired. It really got me excited. And in fact, I'm going to jump on a call with him next week to talk about different strategies on how to look for fulfilling remote work that I might be able to tap into as well. So definitely check him out at theremotehive.com if this is something you're interested in or his YouTube channel, Remote Darren. But if you're a first time listener, please pull out that phone and hit subscribe. Sharing Misfits and Rejects with a friend, somebody you think might like the message, like these types of stories is by far the best way to help support Misfits and Rejects in growing a bigger audience. So if after you listen to this episode and you think of somebody who you know would get something from Darren's story, or you think that there's a valuable message in the stories that I help tell, and you can think of somebody that might get some value out of that, please share it with them. Misfits and Rejects can only grow through this type of sharing, and I would sure appreciate it. So with that said, please sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with Darren Cronian from TheRemoteHive.com. Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today we are joined by Darren Cronian from The Remote Hive. Darren, how are you today? I'm fantastic. Thank you for having me on the show. Absolutely, man. Excited to hear more about your story. Where are you calling in from today? I'm from Bangkok in Thailand right now. I've been here for a month, uh, next heading to South Korea. Uh, so yeah, I love it in Bangkok. As do I. Uh, where are you staying? Uh, generally speaking, are you near Sukhumvit or? No, I'm, I'm, I like to stay in areas which are kind of outside of the more touristy popular areas. So I, I've no idea how to pronounce the area that I'm in. I think it's Watertak. It's very near to Bangwar if you're familiar with the area. Okay. I'm not by name, but if I saw it on a map, I think I'd probably know it generally speaking or have wandered through it. I love Thailand so much. As my audience knows, I talk about it very fondly, have spent, you know, accumulated probably a year there over time, you know, or a couple of years, been there, you know, a dozen times or so. Uh, yeah. Such a beautiful country with such beautiful people. 
Very. And the weather is absolutely amazing, <laughs> unless you come at the wet season. But yeah, I just love uh, Bangkok. It's very chaotic and busy. But I, I am a city person. I'm not one for sat around on beaches. I like to be where there's activity and city noises. That's that's what I really love. Lovely. Where are you from originally? I'm from Leeds in England, uh, which is northern England, about two and a half hours away from London. Uh, so I do have a, a very northern English accent. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, Leeds in England. Give us a little bit of your background, please. Like, what was it like growing up in Leeds, family, you know, whatever you feel comfortable sharing. We're always excited to get to yeah. know, know you and, and what but, you're about. Well, I worked for the same organization for 24 years. I uh, left school with no qualifications. I uh, didn't go to university or have a degree. And I think that's really important to get across because a lot of people feel that this kind of lifestyle of remote working and traveling you need to have loads of degrees and qualifications, and I certainly don't have that. I came up uh, from a family background where my uh, parents split up when I think I was 16. That didn't affect me personally, um, but I enjoyed life in Leeds. I had a big, you know, friend network. I had lots of people, lots of friends there, but working for the same organization for 24 years after 40 years of living there i realized it was time to explore the world and that's what i've been doing now for over eight years wow yeah so 24 years at the same job which was what so i wouldn't say the same job it was the same company organization it's a city council so you can imagine like a, a government type job very comfortable, uh, very little chance of losing your job, so very easy to get into a comfort zone. And I started off more as an entry-level kind of clerical job. And over time, my roles became a little bit more technical, uh, more IT-based. Uh, so it's, uh, I don't know if you've heard of SAP, that's a lot of the work that I did on around the IT side of that infrastructure. Uh, implementing like pay, a payroll system into the organization. So that's pretty much what I did for the majority of my time working there. So 24 years just working for the same employer. Um, yeah, I'm not sure I would do that again. Yeah. Oh, you said SOP, that's something optimization protocol? Uh, sorry, uh, SAP. It's uh, a big, it's probably the second biggest software uh, company in the world after Microsoft. It's um, it's what a lot of big organizations use for infrastructure, for payroll, for HR, financial. Uh, it's, yeah, SAP um, is kind of the stuff that I really focus down in a lot of training and, and testing. I see. Okay, got it. And then what was your breaking point? I mean, that's a huge contrast from spending your whole life in Leeds in the same corporation um, than to th I don't want to say throw it all away, but make such a huge 180 and decide that you're going to leave. Because, I mean, just so the audience understands the context, like I found you on YouTube under your YouTube channel name called Remote Darren. You have about yes. 27,000 followers on there. And you've been traveling, as you said, for eight years doing remote work. Um, primarily, it seems like in Asia. Um, you're in Bangkok now. Like, again, that's a crazy contrast. To just to like uproot and leave at you know what what you said you about forty years old is when you decided to do that. 
Yeah, I, it's, I, I find now when I look back at it, firstly, those 24 years of working for the same organisation, it doesn't feel like 24 years. It's really hard to explain. It feels like it's, uh, a, you know, six months uh, tied up into 24 years. So there was a lot of time in the comfort zone. And I, I just want to talk about that first stage, really, of what a lot of people go through when they're working for the same organization for such a large amount of time. You know, going to the office, um, looking out the window, wishing I was somewhere else, counting down to Friday, living for the weekend. And I did that for, for, for 22 of those 24 years. And I, I didn't have any goals or aspirations in life. And this might sound a little bit silly, but it feels now like I was pre-programmed to live life in that way. I was just living life how society expects. Going to work in the morning, uh, doing eight hours of work, coming home, watching TV, playing on the computer, and then going to bed and repeating, you know, five days a week. And... Yeah, I definitely got stuck in the comfort zone and I was approaching my 40s. I was 37 years old and I don't know why, but one day I just thought to myself, you know, what have I, what have I achieved in my life? What, what have I done? All I've done is just work in an office for 22 years. What do I want to do in the future? What does my future look like? And then I started questioning things much more and talking about, you know, living life how society expects. And those questions and that thinking and speaking to family and friends, that's how it all got started on this journey of quitting the office, escaping the office to work remotely and travel. You know, I wanted to experience the world and I, I you know, for 22 years after leaving school, I, I I didn't see the world. I, I'd not seen any of the world. I'd not experienced any cultures. So yeah, that's that's how it really got started. Just as I was approaching my fortieth birthday, I started questioning things much more. What kind of feedback did you get from your friends and family? Were they supportive as you started to talk about these things and desires you might have to to move on and leave the country? What were they saying? That's a great that's a great question because. I will be completely honest and say that I was the type of person that talked a lot, but didn't take action. So my friends would have heard me talk about wanting to work remotely and travel and see the world. And I think when it got to the point where I started to get serious about making the decision, they honestly didn't believe that I would do it. And, you know, a couple of years later, after leaving my job and, and living this lifestyle, a number of friends said to me, we honestly didn't think you were going to do it. We thought you would be back in Leeds in, you know, three to six months and you would be back looking for a, a job in an office again. With regard to my parents, my dad was very sceptical. He was he's the kind of person that feels that you should you know, work for a company, get a good pension, retire, live comfortably when you're retired, where my mum was super, super, uh, super supportive. You know, she she really said, you know, put the message away to me that life is for living. And um, I feel that actual, that my dad being a bit sceptical and my mum being very positive, that definitely helped me make a more informed decision, if that makes sense. 
It does. It comes across a lot throughout the many episodes that I've done thus far. And I, I don't like, you know, um, just brushing over these, the subject matter. I'd like to get really granular with you because with those types of decisions comes a lot of emotion. And for most people, there's a lot of fear and apprehension that comes with cutting the cord, leaving the safety and security of that job, leaving the, the familiar country town where you come from and then moving halfway across the world. So if you wouldn't mind kind of going into more detail about the emotions that you felt and then how you pushed through them and got over it and and got through it. I, I think one of the biggest challenges that I had was actually leaving my parents who were obviously aging. Uh, you know, as they get older, you want to spend more time with them. And that, for me, was a real big hurdle to overcome. The fact that I, I wouldn't be spending that much time with them when I do decide to, you know, work remotely and travel. So that was definitely one hurdle. The other hurdle was, you know, how, how do I uh, sustain my travels, be able to afford to continue to travel and the process that I went through took me two years. It took me two years to clear debt, get over those hurdles that I, I was finding that were stopping me from making the final decision. Um, it, it was a process of two years. I, I, I basically tried my best to clear all of my debt that I had. I didn't have lots and lots of debt, um, but that was important to me. If I was going to quit my job to work remotely and travel, I wanted to be debt free. And then obviously I wanted to have that comfort blanket because when you've been working for an organization for 24 years, every single month you were getting paid. And I I didn't have any savings when I decided I wanted to move into this lifestyle. And, you know, money just burned a hole in my pocket. I was a very materialistic person um, where I'm complete opposite of that now. So it was a two year Sorry, so it was a two-year process, and uh, there was lots of challenges to overcome. Yeah, so this is great because I love helping people understand that you don't necessarily have to uh, have a huge chunk of change saved up to cut the cord. Obviously, that yeah. is encouraged. It's very helpful, but you also have to have a want to have like a decent plan and an idea of, of how you're going to make ends meet. So can you talk us through that, like, so did you have anything saved at all when you finally quit? Like, did you have a thousand what pounds or 5,000 pounds that you know that was going to sustain you for at least three months in Asia or wherever you chose to go to first as you figured out how to do something remotely? What I would say is that actually I did have savings. And the reason why I did have savings is because I was working in freelancing in the evening at the weekends to be able to have that comfort blanket for me to quit my job of 24 years I had to have at least six months income saved up for me to have the confidence to to quit if I didn't have that money I wouldn't I wouldn't have done it Um, I didn't want to be in a situation where I was living payday to payday I wanted that uh, buffer of six months income there so that I could take my time to find the right remote work for me and and also spend time traveling and enjoying that experience and not having to worry 
about you know where's the next money going to come from so that was really a big decision maker so to make that money like i said i cleared the debt i did freelancing in the evening and the weekend and i also started saving you know more of the money that was making from my full-time job at the time um, that that was my kind of mindset i had to see money there so to give you an idea i had about uh, i would say about twelve thousand us dollars uh, saved up over that two-year period um, and and that gave me the confidence to quit my job escape the office and work remotely and then when you were dabbling in the freelance world what were you doing i was doing mainly writing because I, again I, I, this is something that i really want to get across in this episode is that you don't have to have uh, loads of qualifications and, and degrees and things like that to be a remote worker. A lot of companies are looking for people with experience. So from the freelancing side, I focus mainly on just writing for companies. I, I, going, I, I started creating websites and blogs back in 2005, again, as, as a hobby, as an interest. And I'd built an audience up in within the travel industry. I was writing a blog called Travel Rants, which is probably an old, completely different story. But it was something that I did in my spare time. Didn't make any money from it. Uh, but I built up an audience and I was able to get some freelancing work from, uh, you know, contacts that I'd made in the travel industry. Uh, so a lot of the work I was doing was writing. And anybody can write. I see. Yeah, but it sounds like you did kind of have a bit of a passion for writing. It wasn't necessarily something that um, you didn't care about. You were interested in writing about travel. Yeah, and I think that's really important. If you're looking to be a freelancer and travel at the same time, you need to do something that you are really passionate about. At the end of the day, you've got to wake up in the morning. Or in my case, when I got back from work, you have to have that passion of, of, of wanting to do the work and write. Um, so, yeah, you've definitely got to be passionate about what you do. Yeah, for sure. I think for myself, I struggle with the freelance arena because I'm not passionate about the, I would say, what, you know, the more normal, if you will, types of things that people do, which is like, yeah, the, the copy, the writing, the uh, social media marketing, uh, things that, you know, the younger generations, like the social media marketing aspect of that comes fairly naturally. So they can, I think, get they have better opportunity to get freelance jobs, social media marketing. If you are a decent writer, that's an opportunity as well. So, yeah, I wouldn't say sorry to interrupt. I wouldn't say I think this is an important point. I wasn't a fantastic writer, um, but I knew what uh, to write about. I knew what the audience wanted to uh, to read. And um and I think that's the reason why I tend to get a lot of the freelancing opportunities for writing because uh, I, I knew uh, the, the target audience and uh, I knew what type of content these clients would want. Um, but yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say that I'm an amazing writer. I, I don't think you need to be an amazing writer. You just need to know what to write about and, and uh, an engaging piece of content. Right. So then you save that $12,000 you felt comfortable now because you did have over that two year period uh, experience in the freelance world. Were you using like Upwork? What were you using over that period of time to get your freelance jobs? Uh, to be completely honest, I was being really cheeky and just approaching companies direct. 
Um, I, I didn't want to use Upwork and sites like that because it's very competitive and you're competing against people who are living in countries where the cost of living is so much uh, cheaper. So their rates of pay um, are, are going to be more affordable for companies than what I was wanting to charge. So I, I just approached companies direct. Um, I, I just sent them an email, sent them uh, examples of the work that I'd had published. And that's how I did it. Um, I wanted to build my own client base rather than relying on a, on a third party platform with algorithms and all of that uh, stuff. Uh, so I, I just went direct. I, I think it's important to take action in what you do. And that's how I took action. I think that's great. What a cool strategy. I mean, something that is, you know, been lost, I would say, because of the the freelance model online where you just go to these websites and you compete with all those individuals where, yeah, you exactly, can just reach yeah. out to these companies and you probably have a better chance. That's awesome. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, if you approach them and you give them an idea of some content that uh, would suit what, you know, targeting their audience, if you know their audience and can come up with topics and approach them, most companies will say yes to content, um, you know, a lot of smaller kind of travel companies, which is what I was really niching down in these kind of independent travel agencies. They didn't have a huge budget for, for content creation or for advertising. And if you can't afford advertising, the only way that you can attract an audience is through content. So that that's really what I focused down on. So then, yeah, you got your feet under you with your writing and then you hit the road and went where? I started on a six-month trip, so I basically, uh, my first country outside of the UK was Bangkok in Thailand, and what an introduction to uh, Southeast Asia and to traveling and living this lifestyle. So I started off in Bangkok, went to Singapore, uh, went to Hong Kong, Australia, New Zealand, the US, went to LA, uh, Las Vegas, <laughs> uh, literally bought a six-month round-the-world flight ticket. And I didn't, I'll be honest with you, I didn't know anything about contracting. I didn't know this was an option to go down with regard to remote working. And I had money there. I knew I had six months to get it all sorted and start making money. Uh, but I'll be completely honest, towards the end of that first six months, I was panicking. I was thinking that I was going to have to go back to Leeds, to England, to work in an office because... My freelancing had dried up and um, I, I was really struggling uh, to, to find work to be able to continue to, to live this lifestyle. And wow, yeah, so let's go to that. What did you do? Because I've been there a million times and always seem to have to come back. What did you do I, to figure it out? What I'm going to say now is, um, is the reason why I've been able to work remotely and travel for eight years continuously. And... It's all about the network. It's all about building a network of people that can help you find remote work. And my first remote job was me going onto Facebook and messaging my friends who, you know, were, were all over the world. And um, mostly in the UK, and I approached somebody and everybody and just said, look, I'm, I'm desperate. I'm looking for work. I don't know if I used the word desperate, but I was desperate. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, I approached everybody and said, look, I'm, I'm looking for some uh, either freelance work or, you know, work that I can do while I travel remotely. And let's, you know, this is before 
the pandemic. So, you know, remote working is becoming much more uh, common now. But back then it wasn't really, um, you know, something that uh, there wasn't that many opportunities out there for non-technical people like myself, non-engineers and developers. So I approached a lot of people and somebody came back to me and met at a networking event in Leeds about 15 years earlier. Uh, how things work out, it's crazy. And uh, they said, yeah, I, I know a company is looking for somebody as a quality assurance tester. Is that something you feel you can do? And I sent them my uh, my CV, my resume, and got an interview and impressed in the interview. And the next day they offered me a job, a full-time quality assurance job, working with a, a SaaS product, product. For those that don't know what SaaS is, it's software as a service. And that's that's how the journey started. But it wasn't, I didn't get that job until very close to the end of me having to go back home to the UK. Um, so yeah, me taking action and reaching out to people, you know, that that's how I got my first remote job. That's a cool story. So then the quality assurance is what, like for the SaaS product? Like how do you spend eight hours a day doing quality control for a SaaS product? So basically it was a very active SaaS product in that new features were being added all the time. Um, so the engineers did all of the uh, feature development and then as quality assurance were there making sure that uh, the product works, you know, in all the different browsers, in different mobile devices. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of work in it, a lot of you uh, kind of user experience and making sure the interface of the product works. Um, so yeah, it was it was a very large SaaS product. Uh, product. And then I suspect that because it was a UK-based company that you had to be on UK time, ah, even if you're in ah. Bangkok. That's an interesting question, and this is what blew my mind, to be honest, and probably what a lot of people don't realize. This was actually an American company. Um, the rates of pay in the U.S. are considerably higher than the U.K., so I was getting a good income, and I was classed as an international contractor. So I'm still classed as uh, self-employed in the U.K., registered as a, a U.K., um, business uh, and I uh, invoiced the American company every month and got paid every at the, so it was like working f as an employee but I had a contract for a, a certain amount of time um, and, and I didn't realize that I could be an international contractor and work for a US company uh, but that that's how it's how it started for me and then so then were you having to be on uh, East Coast time, West Coast time, or did it not uh, matter? Yes, yeah, sorry. Uh, the time zone, to be honest, um, when I first started, I had to be on East Coast time. But when you're in Asia, so I came back to the UK, I got the job, and literally within a month of coming back, I, I saw all of my family, catched up with friends, and then I headed off to Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia, which is literally my favorite city in the world. And um, I spent three months there. And because of the time zone difference, it meant that I was doing my work in the evening, which was brilliant because during the day I could go out and do my YouTube videos and explore and do my passions in life. And in the evening, that's when I focused down in the work. 
sometimes what I would do is a, a few hours in the morning and the, the bulk of the work in the evening. And it worked absolutely perfect because of that time difference. That's really cool. So did you have to work super late or were you able to split the hours up enough to where you'd be in bed by, say, 9 or 10? Ah, no, no. There was definitely lots of late night working. Um, I, I, I would say back then when I first started doing that, I would do maybe three hours in the morning. I'm a bit of an early riser. I like to be up at six o'clock in the morning. And I, I got those that work done, you know, well before nine, ten o'clock. And then I had the rest of the day to do whatever I wanted to do. And then I worked the rest of the hours from, say, six o'clock up until maybe 12, one o'clock in the morning. So, yeah, it, it's the, the biggest challenge when I first started doing this work was coming up with um, a work schedule, which meant that the, uh, the company was happy with the time that I was online, but also that I'm able to do the things that I love in life. Having that work-life balance was super important to me, and it's still very important today. Um, so yeah, that's how I split it up: couple of hours in the morning, and then the bulk of the work in the evening. But that suited me perfectly. Wow, yeah. And so you did that what for eight years? You said pretty much the past eight years, and you're kind of transitioning well, out of that now. Uh, no, it's kind of changed. If I'm being honest, I would say for the first four years, I worked full time, and I, I continue to travel. I've, I've been, I've lived in Tokyo, Seoul, uh, Sydney. Uh, so I haven't spent all of my time in Asia. I've kind of moved around. I've spent a lot of time in Eastern Europe, which is beautiful. Uh, countries like Albania, uh, absolutely stunning scenery and landscapes. Um, so I did that for about four years full time. And then I decided one day I've now saved up more money because I'm, I was working full time. I can now reduce my hours to part-time. So for the last four years, I've been working 20, 25 hours a week on the contracting, and that's given me more time to work on my business ideas and and also have time to do the things that I love in life. I love it. You hacked the system. That's so cool. I mean, I think that's, yeah. I think 20 hours a week is, a, is an appropriate amount of time to work. In my opinion, yeah, twenty hours. It's four hours a day. I, I work those um, six p.m. till ten p.m., and then time for bed. Wake up in the morning. I've literally got, you know, a full twelve hours to do whatever I want to do. Very cool. It's 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 the dream to be honest. It's and, and but that hasn't happened overnight. It's taken time to do that. Uh, it's about finding the perfect, you know, work-life balance for you. Not everybody wants to work in the evening. I feel more productive in the evening that I can focus on that work, and the rest of the time during the day, it's whatever I want to do. But yeah, you also have a entrepreneurial that you're scratching right now, you know, which is what we want to talk about a little bit as well. The remote hive um, is that your first venture as an entrepreneur, or have you had other ones that? either didn't take off or maybe are you know generating a little bit of income on the side yeah I, I would say I've always had kind of an entrepreneurial um, thought process so I, I, I created a blog back in 2005 called travel rants which got me on TV uh, quoted in newspapers all, all over the world I was getting huge audience on that blog but I, I never made money from it it was very much a passion project um, but that's kind of how this process started of, of, you know, creating an online business. And when 
I was 37 and I was thinking about the future. It was like a three-stage process that I had in my uh, mind for designing the perfect life. And the last eight years have been kind of stage one, and that's been about trying to save as much money as I can, um, you know, living very frugally, being minimalist, not being a materialistic person, which I was very materialistic uh, when I was working in the office. And so that's phase one. So phase two really now is about getting away from the contracting and actually focusing on my business, which is the remote hive. And what I want to do there is basically help people secure their perfect work remote job so they can work and travel or just have more time to spend with family and friends. It doesn't necessarily have to be about traveling, uh, but just have more time to be able to do the things they love in life. So that's my focus now. That's super cool. So now as you slowly are transitioning, obviously you're keeping the contracting gig for cash flow, but you're developing the remote hive. Can you talk to the audience a little bit about what that is? Basically, it's a, a coaching business. And at the moment, I'm doing lots of one-to-one coaching with people who are desperate to escape the office. We've just gone through a pandemic for the last two years. And obviously, everybody's experienced working from home for the first time. But now companies are starting to ask their employees to go back to the office. So it seems a perfect time to create a coaching business to share what I've gone through over the last eight years of of getting these you know contracts to be able to work remotely and travel. Uh, so a lot of it's about coaching people through that process. You know, people make so many mistakes, common mistakes when it comes to applying for remote jobs. And my role really is just to guide them through that. And it's going really well. I'm, I'm getting a lot of people interested in, you know, working with me one to one. But I'm also in the process of creating a marketplace where I'm going to be selling digital products uh, that people can consume the advice in their own time. So, yeah, it's it's very much a coaching business at the moment, mainly one-to-one coaching, but definitely moving more towards a product-based coaching business, if that makes sense. It does. Just to clarify for the audience, I'm assuming you mean like creating a course that people can then take and uh, yes. take action towards becoming a remote worker. Totally, yeah. And um, it's all about helping people, guide people through the process of applying for remote jobs uh, you know, from the early stages of deciding what you want to do as a remote worker, uh, because that is definitely is a challenge that a lot of people have through to helping people search where to go and find these remote jobs. And also, you know, resume, cover letter, the process that you're going to find yourself going through when you're working for a remote company. So, yeah, there's a, there's a lot to teach people. So it's videos uh, the first product that I'm working on is going to be a, a checklist that people can use when they're uh, applying for a remote job. So they can go through this checklist and just make sure they're doing everything that they need to be doing. That's great. And I mean, that would be super helpful for me as well. I struggle with this uh, desire to also have something that I'm passionate about doing, whether it's my own thing or whether it's a company that provides something that I'm really interested in providing as well. Um, yeah. And just seesawing between because nothing thus far that I've created online has made any money. And so I secretly want to get a job online remotely, but 
find myself, you know, searching LinkedIn and searching for all these things. I'm just like, not interested, not interested, not interested. And also going like, don't have skills for that. Don't have skills for that. Don't have skills for that. So there's a lot of, um, um, psychological barriers holding me back. And I would imagine that you kind of break that down for each client. Yeah, totally. I, I, I can relate to that because, you know, it's difficult to know what you want to do, but it's important to be, you know, have an interest, not necessarily be passionate, but it's important to have an interest in the kind of work that you do. And as a quality assurance specialist, that's what my title is at the moment for the company I'm working for. I, I enjoy the QA side of things. I enjoy breaking things. And um, engineers don't like me because I find bugs. Mm. Um, but but I, but I love that. So it's important to find something that you do enjoy doing. And I go, when I have a client that comes on board, I go through an exercise of really figuring out you know, what skills they have, but also what passions they have. And then together kind of collaborating on getting some ideas on the type of remote work they would like to do and then where they need to go to to find that remote opportunities, those remote jobs. You mentioned LinkedIn. LinkedIn is great, but I think for remote jobs, it's not the best place. Like I always recommend people to go to sites like weworkremotely.com. That's where I found uh, the remote jobs that I've applied for over the last eight years. I've had four remote jobs in that eight year period, uh, different lengths of contract. And um, yeah, so we work remotely. Remoteok.com is another good site to check out. Those are the kind of places that I, I recommend my clients go to when looking for remote jobs. Really cool. I'm going to go on right after we're done with this and have a look. Um, yeah, let, let's let's chat after because I, I would love to help you uh, get through that barrier of trying to find something that you're interested in and that you have skills for. I'm, I'm positive there's something out there for you. Oh, man, that'd be so cool, Darren. Thank you for that offer. I will take you up on that. Um, and it seems very cool, too, because you do get to work with the end user and see them accomplish their goal, which must make you feel great, you know, like you're providing a service that actually works. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it's great to see the final product and think that you've had some, you know, dealings with that. You've you've helped it become the product that it is. Um, and from an engineering perspective, they're not really thinking too much about the user where QA you know, we can introduce, you know, things that can be improved and the engineers sometimes, most of the times agree with the kind of improvements we recommend in QA. So it's great to see the products develop over time, you know, with, with the skills that I have. Absolutely. And I was also referring to your product as, you know, the, the individual oh. who helps people with finding remote jobs because <laughs> the satisfaction yeah. of, you know, seeing somebody that you've helped actually accomplish their goal, like myself, for example, I mean, it just totally. it just pays pays you in spades. Um, yeah. What do you like so much about Kuala Lumpur? What what has captured you and your attention there? I think it's a mix of the people. So you know, so they're very welcoming. The the very warm people. Um, the food. I've eaten way too much Malaysian nasi lemak, which has meant that I've put on quite a bit of weight over these last <laughs> eight years, and. Uh, uh, the culture, the different mix of cultures, I think that's the thing that a lot of people miss with Malaysia is you've got the kind of Chinese Malay, you've got uh, Muslim Malay, then you've got Indians. So it's a real kind of melting pot of cultures, which I love. 
Um, yeah, and I think Kuala Lumpur is a very modern city in a lot of the respects. So for a remote worker, like the fastest internet that I've had anywhere in the world has been in Kuala Lumpur. And uh, yeah, lots of coffee shops, lots of places to work. The weather is beautiful. And it's just a, an amazing city and country to explore. What's the visa situation like for you as a foreigner? Do they allow you to stay full years? You have to leave every three to six yeah. months? <laughs> this is always a, a great topic, which I want to talk about because I think it's important. A lot of people kind of shy away from the visa topic. I, I feel when it comes to Malaysia and a lot of other countries, you get amount of time. So for me as a British passport holder, I get three months in Malaysia. And assuming that you aren't working for a company and making money in Malaysia or whatever country you're in, most immigration services will you know, not batter an eyelid. As long as you get, like, so for example, if I went to the USA, that would be a little bit more difficult for me because my income is coming from the USA right now and um, and, and there's potential issues there with, with immigration. But if you're working remotely and traveling and not making money in the country that you're in, that that is the kind of gray area uh, that is sometimes a problem. But the good thing is with the pandemic, we've seen more and more countries open up to you know, uh, digital nomad visas. So I think that is going to improve over the next, you know, two, three, four, five years. Yeah, I've noticed those popping up and uh, a few people I follow on Instagram highlighting the countries that have, you know, the best options for digital nomads. It's really cool that yeah. countries are doing that because this is, I think, going to be the future for a lot, a big chunk of the world population is the ability to work from a computer anywhere in the world. Yeah, totally. And that's just going to continue the opportunity. When I think back to when I first started looking for remote jobs, there wasn't a great deal of opportunities out there. But now it's just an explosion. You've got customer support, remote jobs, which are now pretty much remote because of the technology out there, the software out there uh, that companies can use. So their workforce is is all over the world and we're going to see more and more companies become fully distributed which what that means is you've got employees based all over the world um so yeah it's only going to explode even more i love it um can you give us some insight into maybe some other things that you like to do hobby wise we, we obviously know you like to travel um is there something unique that you love to do that you get to do because you are a remote worker and live you know you're a global citizen yeah, I, I, I like to share my experiences and advice with people. So I do create a lot of content on Instagram. Uh, you can find me there with Remote Darren again. I, I love to create videos and the places that I'm traveling in. That's a real big passion that I have. And, and I like to, uh, you know, tinker, tinker, <coughs> excuse me. And I also like to, you know, kind of tinker around with the Internet and play around with different ideas on ways that I can make money online. Um, I like to do a lot of hiking, a lot of eating. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, my, my, my life is very busy. I have to say a lot of people say to me, because I'm traveling alone and living alone, you know, don't you get lonely? And I, I never have time to feel lonely <laughs> because I'm working on my business. I'm doing my contracting part-time. 
and I'm also creating content to help others and exploring and hiking and experiencing all these different cultures. Yeah, that's really cool. I'm just curious for myself, what kind of equipment are you using for your videos? I toyed with the idea because I also travel a lot, you know, maybe creating a more in-depth YouTube channel about myself, my travels, this podcast. Um, what, what kind of equipment do you use? Like what kind of time do you put into creating that content? I, I think this is a really good question because a lot of people get kind of uh, concerned about what gear you need to create content, especially on YouTube. All I have is a, a GoPro. It's a GoPro 9, which is probably about 18 months old now. So it's not the new latest one. And that's all I use to create the videos. I, I used to have a ton of gear, like a DSLR camera, a tripod, a ND filter, different lenses. And I just, one day I just thought to myself, why am I carrying all of this gear with me? Um, so I got rid of all of that, and I literally just have a, a tiny little GoPro, and uh, that's it. That's all I use for creating my videos. And I think the quality is really good. It's great as well. I was also going to comment on the audio is, is fine as well. So you're not using any uh, crazy mics. It's just straight from the um, GoPro mic? Straight from the GoPro. Um, you know, there's, you can buy uh, microphone attachments like the Rode uh, uh, Wireless Go and things like that to connect to the GoPro. But no, I'm just using the natural microphones in the camera. And I think the audio has definitely improved in, in recent versions of the GoPro. Very cool. Very cool, Darren. If you could talk to one audience member and with some parting you know, words of wisdom about if they're thinking about doing this lifestyle, trying to get a remote job, um, what would you tell them to inspire them to take that first step? What I would say is definitely don't feel that you have to compare yourself with other people. You create the life that you want to lead. And definitely, if you are that type of person that is sat in an office or you're on a, a bus or a train learning, uh, listening to this podcast right now and you're looking out the window, wishing you were somewhere else, you're counting down to Friday, I want you to know that you can make a change in your life. It just takes a little bit of action, some planning. I, I don't recommend to anybody just to quit the job to work and travel Take time, plan it, clear any debt that you have, have some savings as a buffer zone and deal with the challenges that you have face on. Don't, you know, speak to people. I found speaking to family and friends really important when I was making the decision. And to be honest, it was the most difficult decision I've made in my life so far. And but I want people to know that you can live this lifestyle. You can work remotely and travel and it is possible. It just takes time. It takes planning. It takes taking action. It's really deciding what you want to do and how you want to make an income. But the worst thing that you can do is do what I did for 22 years and basically get stuck in that comfort zone, not have any goals or aspirations in life and just live life how you feel like you need to live it because that is how society has taught us going to work. Uh, you know, saving up for a house, getting married, settling down, looking at your pension. Pension's important, but the rest of it is just about designing the life that you truly want to lead. And it is totally possible. I don't have a degree. I don't have 
a huge education. Everything that I do with the job that I'm doing now is self-taught. So yeah, just know that you can do it, put a plan in place, and take action. Beautifully said, Darren. Folks, check him out, theremotehive.com. Darren, thank you for your time. No problem. Awesome, Darren. Thank you so much for your time. It was really inspirational to hear how you've been sustaining yourself for the last eight years, getting to live the life that you love in so many cool places around the world. Folks, his story is such an example that it's never too late to make a change. You can always do it with a little bit of planning, a little bit of saving, and a little bit of courage to take that first step towards what you want. And Darren is here to support. As I said in the beginning intro, I will be jumping on a call with him to explore different remote work ideas and pathways to walk down, potentially walk down and finding that job. And highly recommend if this is a lifestyle that you're interested, you reach out to him as well. TheRemoteHive.com is where you can find him. And again, thank you again for listening. If you like this message, if you like Misfits and Rejects, please share with a friend. That will really help me grow this audience to get to a point where then I can attract sponsors and hopefully make a living off of doing what I love, which is this. Talking to beautiful Misfits and Rejects around the world, hearing their stories, hearing their personal tales of triumph and failure and triumph and just perseverance and success. All these things really get me excited to just continue to chase my dreams and aspirations and help honor and elevate these individual stories to then hopefully inspire you as well. So thank you again for listening. I think you all are so very beautiful and I'll see you in some episodes soon. Take care. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspire you to think about your life situation, where you're at and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new, to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.